This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, Truman Jones is on News Radio WGNS. Good morning, Rutherford County. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Greg Tucker. <laughs> you know, uh, there's something that's really bugging me, and, and uh, it, it's how our local newspaper, uh, they don't seem to have any um, relationship with our community here. And I was watching about all the the monuments that were being taken down, which they're, uh, it's obvious they're pushing that, and all the the historical places that that we've got around here. And uh, one of the, I think you and I were talking about it maybe even uh, a couple of the shows ago, and we were talking about the Sam Davis uh, Dam that's over there at the Sam Davis home, and really trying to get a feel why uh, some individuals have uh, um, decided that they would like to control some of the things that are going on over there, which uh, if it's a positive thing, you know, uh, and, and doing it for the community, I can understand. But uh, I haven't really found out what the real intention is as far as uh, controlling that particular area and I presume that would be taken out of the hands of the the people who are now um, pretty much um, running the uh, Sam Davis home and and I think they're all local people. Have have you heard any other of of the uh, background behind it? No, it's not clear. Uh, Well, we know quite a bit about, for instance, there is a dam across the Stewart's yeah. Creek right there on the property, partly on the property of the Sam Davis uh, home. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the plan is to demolish the dam and restore stream flow. But what caught the attention of some of the citizens down there, Mike Waller in particular, was the sign they put up out front that said the purpose of the demolition was to create mitigation credits, mm-hmm. a new term for many of us. Uh, I've seen it in other contexts. Uh, the idea is if we can improve the flow of the creek in one place and build credit for that improvement, then that credit can be transferred to another project that's going to degrade the flow of the creek, mm-hmm. the object to be a neutral kind of overall effect. Uh, well, the ones that need the credits because of the uh, circumstance to degrade 
are usually new developments, subdivisions, commercial developments, whatever, uh, where they're going to interfere with the flow. And uh, the powers that be decided that if they can keep a neutral effect, uh, it'll be permitted. And the way that's done is uh, one property owner or controller improves the flow and gets the credits, he can then sell those credits to someone who's in a position to degrade the flow of the creek and uh, enable them to then meet the permit requirements, what mm -hmm. have you. Uh, when the discussion uh, was initiated about taking out the dam uh, in order to create mitigation credits, uh, it wasn't clear what the interest or value was to the Sam Davis Memorial Association. Mm -hmm. uh, and we learned from the people involved that the mitigation credits are valued at over a million dollars out of that particular project. And that they have already been committed to four private developers, subdivision developers, I assume, uh, and two state projects, transportation projects. Uh, but apparently, uh, no compensation to the Sam Davis Memorial Association, which to me would be the only real justification. You could raise questions about the historic aspects of it. We know the history of it. Uh, but the question of uh, why not compensation to the Memorial Association to meet the challenging needs of uh, maintenance and uh, uh, restoration of the, of the mm -hmm. historic property and the home and such. Uh, we can't seem to get an answer. Uh, and to me, there's some small numbers for the developers would be very significant numbers for the Memorial Association. You know, $25,000 doesn't sound like much if you're doing a subdivision. But if you're trying to maintain a historic property, that could make a big, big difference. So uh, I suspect that the uh, citizens that uh, have raised questions will pursue it and uh, hopefully eventually get a, some satisfaction as to just what is the real interest here. Someone has suggested it's just elimination of a safety hazard. Well, there's no record of any safety problems, no serious injuries, no insurance uh, complaints or anything of that sort. So it's just not clear what's going on. And uh, it troubles me why you don't clear it up and uh, do so in a uh, cooperative way. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll continue to follow it, and I hope Truman, you continue to be interested in it so we can uh, regularly review what the circumstances are. I know there is a appeal hearing initiated by Mike Waller uh, on September 22nd, so it'll be pending at least until that time. Do you know where the hearing will be? It's in the offices, I think, in Nashville, but it's the Tennessee... Uh, environmental and conservation mm -hmm. uh, division, whatever it's called formally. That's I don't. I don't understand why they're not open with it and just go ahead and and uh, relate to the uh, Sam Davis people. 
what exactly uh, their intentions is. Well, but, like but it's obvious. I mean, yeah. you're you're going to have you're going to be compensated for your time, whatever whatever they're going to do. Well, that's. I'd like to see the whole matter renegotiated so yeah. that uh, Sam Davis Memorial Association gets some dollar value out of it. Yeah. If they're going to go through with it. Uh, if not, then the question is, you know, what what's the motive here? What's the value? Uh, if you're not getting compensated out of uh, this value, which is significant, well, why are we doing it? Yeah, and, and just to utilize that term, I've never heard that term before. Um, that doesn't completely uh, do away with a discussion that needs to be there. Yeah. Well, let's see. Speaking of discussion, I got a call from John Brandon last week after we were on the air, and he was recalling our discussion of uh, zinc mining mm -hmm. in Rutherford County. And you know, that's good for the coronavirus. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that. Uh, I don't know how you ingest zinc. I assume there's a zinc pill somewhere. Pink pills. Pink pills. Yeah. And, and uh, they will not, it does not let the virus attach itself to anything, uh, was what I was told. Uh, good. I so, I, so I've taken my round of Is zinc right? pills. Well, I don't want any virus. But mine's attaching. gone anyway. Good. Your zinc pills is gone. Yeah, I like. Uh, no, my virus is gone. I, I wonder if uh, are people actually selling their blood for people who who have had the virus and now they've gotten over it. I hear that uh, the the uh, medical profession is looking for donors. I'm not aware of that. Yeah, but Brandon was calling to offer us some information that we didn't have at the time, and that was uh, we've talked about how the zinc. Uh, mining activity back in World War II period mm -hmm. ended because of a death. A fella was riding the bucket down to the bottom of the shaft. Mm, bless his heart. Yeah, and uh, the bucket fell or he fell. Uh, Mr. Brandon uh, explained that uh, his wife was the daughter of the fellow who died in the accident. Oh. And uh, the fellow's name was Hughes. We believe the first name was Ewell. Hughes. And to add to the story, uh, we know the bucket was blacksmith bit made, big bucket. Uh, I still have remnants of the bucket. Mm -hmm. And uh, the motor that raised and lowered was recycled from uh, an automobile. In fact, uh, Billy Harrell told me it was an old Buick mower, motor he remembered visiting over there as, as a child. The fellow operating the motor, according to Brandon's uh, information through the, the family, uh, was drinking. Oh. And that this very likely had something to do with the accident. Either he stopped it too quickly or, or let it down too quickly or something like that. But interesting, when I do an addenda to uh, my first book, which has the story of zinc mining, uh, we'll certainly uh, note the individual and the family that was involved. Uh, the same story prompted a call from Jerry Pascal, one of my neighbors, a faithful listener. And uh, he reminded me that uh, there was also a uh, mine shaft apparently put down in the Porterfield area. Now, I don't know exactly where up there, but uh, 
Jerry was remembering it. But it's very likely because we know the vein of zinc that ran through Rutherford County. Uh, one end of it where the accident occurred was uh, up in north of Milton. And we also know that there was some mining activity in the Readable area. Mm -hmm. So the vein of zinc may well have run through Porterfield uh, down to that end. A fellow named Gaither from Kentucky was the one operating, I know, Readable and Milton. Mm -hmm. And he may very well have had the uh, shaft in Porterfield. And what was the time that we're looking at? The original efforts to mine it were back in the 1890s, uh, and it was not economically viable, largely because of the need to control the water flow. When you mm -hmm. dig a deep hole in Rutherford County, you hit water. Yeah. Uh, and then it was reopened and was commercially viable for a time. Uh, in the early 1940s, obviously prompted by the war demands for zinc mm -hmm. uh, at that time. And after the accident, Dr. Gaither could not get any insurance. And the state required that you have insurance uh, to operate a mine. So You're talking about liability insurance? Yeah, liability yeah. insurance. That put him out of business. The, yeah. ac the accident obviously prompted the insurance companies to back off. Mm. Even back then. Even back then. Yeah. Bless your heart. Uh, you, you've led a tough life. Did, did you? Yeah, I'm talking about in Washington, all the liability problems that were going on there. And uh, did you ever, uh, did you ever represent the bad guys? <laughs> I never represented the good guys. My clients, uh, a very large firm practice in Washington, D.C. My clients usually were in conflict with a government government agency. Mm -hmm. And if you assume the government's the good guys, then mine were always uh, uh, usually major corporations. And uh, some of them people know by reputation, Kerr McGee, the big uranium company. Mm -hmm. uh, and Stauffer Chemical that had problems with the uh, health effects of their uh, products, yeah. things like that. Now, did you share the, uh, the uh, income at at, at the uh, at the office, or did did say if you hit a big one, if you really got a big win somewhere? Uh, how do you uh, split up the takings? I was a salaried employee. I never a had salaried that. employee. Yeah. I can't even imagine you doing that. Yeah, the uh, that was the, 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 a blessing to me that I never had to worry about client development. Uh, the firm was so big and so old that they were turning away clients. Wow! And uh, most of the attorneys there were on a fixed fixed income. Uh, and you know, you 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 wanted to perform well and prevail because that's what the business is about. But there was no connection between your success in a given case and your income. That was all set uh, by agreement at the outset. Well, now here in Rutherford County, as somebody's been here a long time, 
uh, I know which attorneys that I would select or not select here in this community. There you were in the big time in, in Washington. Do, do the, these major companies, did they kind of take a, a look at the list of, of possible uh, lawyers who would represent them? Um, you know, I, I know that some of the names shine really bright as far as the attorneys are, are, are concerned. It, it, it's just like if you're going to have uh, if you're if you're looking for a good doctor, you want the best, and and this is the same thing as an attorney. Now I know that you are uh, uh, way qualified to meet the interest of, of a lot of the the big firms. Well, I, w I was a couple of decades ago. I'm probably pretty rusty now. No, no, it never wears off, just like a bicycle. When, when, do you, how do you relate to the, to the community uh, here in Rutherford County uh, as, as when, you when you left Washington and you came back down here? Is there a big difference in the way that attorneys practice law? And I know you're going to say yes because um, I, I can't even imagine being under the stress that you were under while you were up there. Well, it's very difficult to raise a family and, yeah. and first the environment, but then just the the firm and the demands of the firm. Uh, I remember thinking I need to move on after the child was born. Yeah. And I was spending time with the child and uh, one of my senior partners said well you need to go ahead and get your uh, your what they call them your nanny mm -hmm. and uh you know you need to get get them in so you can you know get back into full time here and i thought wait a minute that's not the way i want to raise the kids uh, good for you yeah and so uh, we were delighted by the opportunity i was representing hospital corporation of america I was the lead counsel for them and they suggested that i come full-time with them mm -hmm. down here in Nashville and we jumped at the chance to get back down here and and have a and I give the Frist family a lot of credit because they're very family-oriented and uh, I know senior Dr. Frist on occasion if he had reason to be in the office on the weekend Mm -hmm. He'd walk around, and if he found somebody else in the office, he'd more or less run them out. He'd go, it's a weekend, go home and be with your family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that firm worked very hard, and everybody, you know, was very dedicated, but I thought the priorities were in the right order. Yeah. Well, both of you had a lot of responsibilities up there, but I cannot see you guys being away from a family environment because... Um, some things just mean a whole lot more to you than anything else. Uh, now you got me thinking about child rearing and the uh, letters we were reviewing last week from the uh, uh, Union soldier from Ohio who was mm -hmm. down here. One of the letters his wife wrote was concerned about getting the children vaccinated. This is 1863. Wow. And I thought, vaccinated, now wait a minute, what, what's going on? And it's interesting because she was concerned as to whether she could, and she was asking her husband's advice in the letter while he was in the military. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and she noted that uh, uh, with an older child, I guess, they, the vaccination made them sick for a while. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what are we being vaccinated for in 1863? And I did a little research, and the first vaccine, you'll remember, uh, was for smallpox. And it was earlier than I, than I had imagined. In fact, it was in the same year as Tennessee became a state, 1796. Wow. Uh, Dr. Edward Jenner mm -hmm. first demonstrated that uh, smallpox could be avoided through immunity by an exposure to the virus or a very similar virus from those who had cowpox, which was uh, a disease uh, unique to the milkmaids and others that worked around cows. And, that was uh, an utterly bad disease. It was, and uh, it worked. Mm -hmm. So by 1863, it was quite common in this country mm -hmm. for children to be vaccinated. And if uh, you were in an area where the vaccine wasn't available, a child's likelihood of surviving depended on their getting smallpox and surviving the smallpox mm -hmm. and uh, developing the immunity that way. Otherwise, they were considered at risk. And apparently, uh, this particular mother, uh, Ms. Gilbert, Ohio, Fayetteville, Ohio, in the 1860s, went ahead and, and had the children uh, vaccinated because in another letter she makes note that they uh, got over the uh, sickness that's prompted by the vaccination mm -hmm. at that time. Now, when you and I came along, smallpox vaccination was a routine, and uh, many of our generation have the little uh, moon-looking scar yep. uh, on your shoulder from I think the, I still from the got vaccination. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in most countries by the 1950s, smallpox vaccination was very common. But up until the polio vaccine, uh, there weren't many vaccines that uh, were in use, if any others. Uh, Do you remember what the time limit was from the time they started working on the vaccine, the salt vaccine, until he finally perfected it? No, I can't, but I know that the search for uh, something in the way of a vaccine dates from well before World War II. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're talking about several decades, probably. Yeah. Uh, so when I look at the efforts going on now to come up with a vaccine for this coronavirus uh, and the time frame they're putting it on, it's just amazing how, how things have changed. And... Uh, a lot of it, I think, relates to the, you know, the base of knowledge that we have at this point and our ability to use it through the uh, technology we have, information technology mm -hmm. and such. But uh, I will not be surprised if our president's uh, prediction that we'd have a vaccine by the end of the year, which... Yeah, December, yeah. Yeah, which was initially uh, laughed at. Uh, may very well come to pass. Because I read that uh, we're getting very close to clinical trials and such. I, I guess there's just some things that 
you just it, it goes beyond anything else when it shuts down an entire country like the United States or well, the entire uh, world yeah. if you read it it's just incredible yeah but I, I, it's amazing how our focus have been on that but uh, even regarding the, the type of disaster that's going on from that particular virus it, it there's still political people pulling at each other right. and you, and it doesn't really make make any sense at all i mean our country comes first so l let's get going yeah. my gosh and uh, it appears to me that we are making the right investment in the research and uh, probably ultimately we'll have the vaccine and this will all be behind us yeah but uh, see there was another question i raised last week that i need to follow up on uh I referred to some correspondence from the Rutherford County Library System and wondered what happened to our familiar line ball library. I hope it's still there. It, it is, but yeah. uh, the uh, new working name that's on the letterhead and such is now referring to a system of libraries. And uh, I think I understand the value in that. But... Lionball Library is now the library up there across from City Hall. I don't remember anybody protesting the name of Lionball. No, that's it, it, still there and it's still used, but it's yeah. referring to the original base library. Because now we have the Smyrna Library, we have the Eagleville Library, and now, and this may be what prompted the uh, what you say, unifying name. Mm -hmm. uh, we now have a information technology library over there next to Hobgood School. And so when they talk about the Rutherford County Library System, we're talking about uh, all four of the different locations. And uh, But the Lionball Library, the historic name, still exists and is now used to refer to the what I call the uh, home library, the primary library facility there across from City Hall. Do people still know what a book is? Well, I can only speak for myself. It's a novel a, in particular. And sometimes I get confused about book. Why, why do people uh, grab a hold of a computer or, or a telephone and, and they just completely neglect some of the some of the novels that are written in their particular form, it's hard for me to to try to read off of a off of anything like that. I haven't had, but I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a book in my lap probably in almost a year. I really haven't, and and that's a sad commentary on how we we look at the libraries now. Because I used to spend a lot of time even when I was in grade school. Uh, walk over to the library. Oh yeah, summer reading was actually fun. Yeah, because you got to pick what you wanted to read <laughs> yeah. instead of them telling you what to read. Uh, Did you ever read Moby Dick? Oh yeah, back in, in the early days. I read it and enjoyed it, and then had to read it again in school, and it wasn't near as much fun. Somebody kept asking me questions, and I had to had to learn from it. Uh, Did you try to speak the same way that? Uh, the uh, sailors were speaking back in those days. I don't, I don't remember that. There was For some reason, I, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about Uncle Remus, 
but there's something that just catches my ear that I have to be able to relate the same way the, the book that I'm talking right. about. It's just unbelievable. Well, I remember when uh, we all read and studied, I believe it was seventh grade, Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. As the classic, uh, absolute classic American novel. Mm -hmm. I hadn't checked, but I wonder now if it's even on a reading list. Uh, but we used to have to analyze every chapter and, and learn the different characters and uh, the style. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was real clear that it was being treated as the you know, classic example of American literature. Uh, and today I wonder if they even, if I asked a ninth grader about Huckleberry Finn, if they'd know what I was talking about. Probably not. Yeah. Times change. That's why we're not all here forever. We're not? <laughs> Don't worry. The, the radio show will go on, Truman. <laughs> So there's a possibility that I, I may be uh, not here? No, I don't think there's any, any, any way that could happen. No. <laughs> yeah, big boy. So what have you got in front of you? Well, we, were, we touched on this a little bit last week. Uh, some, uh, some of the bugs, the bug family shared with us uh, a collection of letters mm -hmm. written back and forth between a man and his wife, and in one or two cases, his children. Uh, now, let's not forget Margaret Bug. Bless her heart. Yeah. She was the chief deputy uh, years ago, around uh, 1980. It was in the 80s, in the 70s before that, and on beyond that. And uh, she did such a wonderful job taking care of our community. So... A big shout out to Margaret Bug back in back in make those special days. Yeah, make the connection. I think I'm right. It's her grandson mm -hmm. who married a charming lady from uh, somewhere north of here, and it's her family that had the set of letters. Mm -hmm. uh, the Gilbert family. I hope I'm correct, Chuck. Jump on me if I'm not, and we'll straighten it out next week. I don't believe that's how it came about. Uh, but this was a 34-year-old fellow named Walter Gilbert. And some of the things that are interesting in the correspondence is, for instance, in the first letter his wife writes back, she makes reference to the military draft. Mm -hmm. And she says, people aren't going to put up with it. It's not going to work. They're not going to stand for it. Uh, that was for the Union Army. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time, I think recognizing that, the... Uh, uh, U.S. military were seeking volunteers. Mm -hmm. But she also notes that they weren't getting many volunteers, just those who wanted to be part of the military. Uh, so what was going on as reflected here, and this is the way her husband, Walter, uh, ended up in the military. Uh, the Army hired recruiters and would pay them by the head to recruit and bring in uh, volunteers. Recruited what happened volunteers. to when the rich guys were paying their way out and giving uh, monies to somebody to take their place? That was in the New England area. We were talking about the Midwest. Okay. There wasn't that much Not money. Much money. Okay. Not much money. Not much money. I got you. Because... Uh, it wasn't a rich man's war. Yeah. And the recruiter was making promises to his recruitees but something like forty-two dollars 
uh, a month uh, in pay mm -hmm. during the time they were in service. And of course, the real concern was if I go into the military, who's going to support my family? So the idea was we'll, we would pay you $42 a month mm -hmm. and you can mail that home or we'll set up a system so your wife back home can draw directly on your salary and go directly to her. Uh, the, the fellow recruiting in Ohio, his name was Lynch, Mike Lynch. His name comes up repeatedly in the, in the correspondence. And uh, he recruited in Fayetteville, Ohio, among other places. So, and he, the way it went was you and your buddies, all from the same area, will be together in the same brigade, in the same division, the same whatever. Uh, so you and your buddies will stay together. And uh, they later learned that, uh, uh, well, he also promised a signing bonus of a certain amount of dollars. Uh, and they later learned that Lynch earned $800, which is a lot of money back in the 1860s for the number of boys that, and men that he recruited in this area of Ohio. And Lynch said that he, of course, would go with them and be part of it. Well, when they reported for their basic, uh, the equivalent of basic training, Lynch wasn't there. Uh, he was still recruiting, apparently. Um, but uh, he earned something in the neighborhood. Well, it was quoted exactly $800 for recruiting. Is he only recruiting for the North, or was he doing it for the North and South? He was supposedly, well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> These people knew only of his work for the, for the, for the North. Uh, another thing we learned from the correspondence is that the private in the service uh, had no access to information about how the war was going other than just rumors and gossip that would come back mm -hmm. back and forth amongst them. So in a number of the letters, Walter is asking his wife for information from the sources up there, the media or whatever, as to how the war is going uh, because they were being told, they, the soldiers, the Union soldiers, it, uh, this, Sound like CNN. Yeah, this is uh, early 1863, after mm -hmm. the Battle of Stones River mm -hmm. is when he went in. Uh, they were being told that the war would wind up by the end of the summer. This was the common attitude they were being given, that this is a short detail. You'll be back home for the fall planting or the harvest or Did whatever. Did they tell them what the war was about? That's another interesting point. Uh, yes. They were told that there was a rebellion, and this again is reflected in the letters, that there was a rebellion and that the purpose of the war, the combat, and it's called Lincoln's War. When they refer to it, it's almost always Mr. Lincoln's War or Lincoln's War. Mm -hmm. They were told that it was to preserve the Union, to keep the Union intact. Uh, and all it was not popular back then. Oh, very, the war. Oh, no, not at all. On with, either side. Yeah, not at all with this group, certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a general belief among these recruitees, and uh, they ended up down here. That was the interesting point. And he mm -hmm. got the, the, this whole Ohio, it's called the Ohio Volunteer Infantry, mm -hmm. was part of the West, what's called the Western Front of the War. And following Stones River, they were sent down here to 
prepare for the drive that eventually ended up through Georgia, Chickamauga, mm -hmm. uh, Lookout Mountain, and mm -hmm. all that. Uh, so by uh, April 3rd, they had been here, and it's his reaction to the, the uh, locale. He describes uh, the area that they were in. He said it's about six miles from Murfreesboro near the battlefield as a nice place, uh, that uh, the fishing was very good. Uh, and uh, the terrain was and beautiful. And the living was easy. Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, the, at that time that they were down here, the weather in April was very pleasant. Uh, but by April, three of the Ohio boys were very, very sick. And they were down with the measles. Mm. And then uh, about the same time, he gets a letter from his wife talking about the vaccinations. But... The children, his children, he had three children, all had come up with whooping cough. <laughs> the <laughs> diseases we we not only know of through reputation. But the boys down here in the military were suffering with measles. And uh, I always heard that if you get measles when you're a child, it's fairly easy to shake it off. Yeah, it was for me. Yeah, but measles when you're older uh, can be deadly. Yeah. And uh, so that was a problem of well, the living circumstances they had. If somebody had the measles, many of them would be, would be uh, affected by it. Uh, the one harassment, uh, we mentioned this last time, every once in a while in the letter he'll say that the Confederate cavalry has uh, either cut lines. In fact, this was part of the problem with the correspondence. The wife would write and say, this is the fifth letter I have sent you. Why have you not answered? And eventually she'd get a letter back, and it would say, well, the Confederate cavalry keeps uh, robbing uh, the supply trains and such as that and uh, diverting the mail. Uh, the wife kept saying, when are you going to send me some money? And he kept promising to send her money when he got it. Uh, but he made the point that I, I won't send you more than $10 at a time because I'm afraid that the, it'll never get there. So we'll break it down. seemed like about one out of five letters were actually getting through. Uh, at one point he asked his wife to send him stamps mm -hmm. uh, because with the stamp on it, he thought it might have a better chance of going through. So a lot of the letters they simply were addressing and turning over to the military transit, uh, no postage as we think of today, just an addressed letter. Mm -hmm. uh, the money we talked about last week, uh, they kept promising the payment, and four months out in June, he began to think maybe never. Uh, and it turns out that he spent his entire military career, which was only about a year, <clears throat> uh, and never got paid anything. I he wasn't paid by the military? He never got any payment. They fed him, they housed him, they gave him his medical care. And that was important because uh, uh, Walter, the letter writer, eventually writes and says, well, I'm sick. Because mm. the diseases that were going around while they were camped here began to have a significant effect on... Uh, 
the, the numbers of available men ready for service. Mm -hmm. They even opened a separate camp for those who were sick. <clears throat> and Walter ended up in that camp, and it's called the Convalescent Camp at Murfreesboro. And when they got ready to move out uh, in uh, June, the Army heading south, those in the convalescent camp were classified as either fit for duty or not, and they stayed behind. So he never went south of Murfreesboro, he and a good many of his buddies. <clears throat> Unfortunately, at the time, many of the Ohio recruitees died here of the diseases, having never seen any kind of combat. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually he was, he and many of them were sent back up to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where the military had set up major hospital mm -hmm. activity. And when they uh, returned uh, to enough health that they could be of some use, they were issued one weapon a saber, and they were put on duty as security personnel at the hospitals. So he never got paid, but he never really did anything in the way of combat or, or fighting. Uh, now, what party was running the military back then? Was it the Democrats? Well, it was Lincoln's War, I assume, his personnel were running it. Let's yeah. see. Yeah, June 6th is when the Army moved out, headed south, and yeah. he, he was on the sick list. Uh, oh, they were having, at that time, a real serious problem the Union Army was with desertion. I wonder and, why. And if you caught a deserter, there was uh, only one result, and that was execution. Mm -hmm. And that's the way they kept most of them in line, but there was still a high percentage. And this is interesting, too, because uh, the uh, sending the body home or writing a letter home to the family which says, we've shot your husband, your son, your whatever for desertion, didn't do much for the morale of the, of the uh, well, I shouldn't be sarcastic, was being very... Uh, uh, negatively received and that was getting back to Lincoln and the and the military mm -hmm. this is not good PR uh, and during that period Congress passed a law that set the level of a final decision on any kind of execution up to the major general level in other words a brigadier general was no longer legally able to uh, conduct an execution uh, and that reduced the number of uh, deserters being executed, and they started imprisoning them and holding them. Uh, interesting that uh, that law, which was passed in Congress, signed by Lincoln during the war, uh, was done before, back to our early conversation, before Sam Davis was executed. Sam Davis's execution was ordered by a brigadier general it's a one star, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, according to con the Congressional Act, uh, Davis's execution was a violation of the military law. That'd be a good time to take a break. Let's do. All right, we'll be gone for a couple minutes. Be right back with Greg Tucker. 
from Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSradio.com. Sold by MK, powered by EXP Realty. Let's say that you're coming to me and you'd like to make a purchase and we get you pre-approved. However, to put 3% down on that, as well as cover your own closing costs, might be a bit much with what you have on hand. So we have lenders at this time who are offering loan closing cost assistance, as well as down payment assistance, and you could get up to $15,000 in grants to cover those items for you. So why wait? Give me a call today. Mary Catherine Hughes, sold by MK, powered by EXP Realty. We're discussing the great city we live in with Councilman Eddie Smotherman. Eddie, what do you like most about our city? I'm proud of the diversity our city has. Our great schools, our parks, our strong economy, our health services, and our historic downtown. From the Miracle Field to Main Street, from the Greenway to the Gateway, I love our city. Paid for by friends of Eddie Smotherman for City Council. Eddie Smotherman, Treasurer. I'm Eddie Smotherman, and I'd appreciate your vote for Murfreesboro City Council. Bell Jewelers purchases estate jewelry. Maybe there are things that you inherited that you will never wear. So Bell Jewelers will pay top dollar and we'll help find them good new homes. A lot of customers that come into Bell Jewelers and want antique vintage pieces. So we have a collection of beautiful jewelry items that never go out of style, always timeless at excellent values. I'm Greg Tidwell at Bell Jewelers Northwest Broad, across the street from Toots. Why join a credit union? Credit unions offer the same services as banks, but are not for profit. Credit unions are owned by their members, not Wall Street investors. Credit unions are among the highest rated services ever evaluated by Consumer Reports. Need another reason to join a credit union? If you join Heritage South Community Credit Union now through June 30th, you could win $2,500. Sounds like a good reason to me. Learn more at HeritageSouth.org. Insured by NCUA. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan, a man who was wanted for setting a Smyrna home on fire with his ex-girlfriend and her young children inside, has been taken into custody. GBI says Roosevelt Robinson IV captured in Biloxi, Mississippi, early Saturday morning. He was wanted by Smyrna police for setting that fire to a home last month. The woman and her children were not hurt in the incident. The garage of the home was damaged. With the new month, customers with First National Bank of Murfreesboro received letters announcing that the official merger between First National Bank and Capstar Bank has received final shareholder and regulatory approval. That letter sent to customers notes both First National Bank and Capstar are now operating under a single brand charter, but will not combine under the Capstar brand and system till November 16th. Multiple states, including Tennessee, reporting people becoming sick from salmonella linked to red onions. Thompson International out of California recalling all varieties of onions that could have come into contact with the contaminated red onions. Salmonella illnesses have been reported in 30 states, including Tennessee. More than 400 people have become sick. A church, a turnpike, and two bridges are among seven Tennessee sites recently added to the National Register of Historic Places. Ebenezer Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Jasper, Arch Bridge in Olive Hill, the Sulphur Fork Bridge in Montgomery and Robertson Counties, and the Higginbottom Turnpike in Van Buren and Warren Counties, which was part of the Trail of Tears. A new report is bad news for Tennessee on its fight against the ongoing coronavirus outbreak. 
Tennessee Department of Health says every one of Tennessee's 95 counties has an unacceptable level of transmission. There have been nearly 110,000 coronavirus cases in the state since the outbreak began. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad, across from the Ford dealer, host of the Truman Show live broadcast. One of the finest restaurants in Rutherford County, at the top, as the friendliest. It's like a magnet. You just draw people in here. It seems different here in Murfreesboro. It just seems like everybody is more welcoming. Open Monday through Saturday at 6.30 for breakfast and lunch, Thursdays and Fridays for dinner. Food is ready-made. You make it. Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad, across from the Ford dealer. Hi, I'm Claire Maxwell. As a mother, educator, and community leader, I'm running for Rutherford County School Board to be your voice of fairness and equality. From volunteering at our schools to helping raise $5 million for the construction of the Fisher House or helping start a special needs camp at Discovery Center, you can say that I care and I will work hard to get things done. If you want different results, make a different choice by voting for Claire Maxwell for Rutherford County School Board Zone 5. Early voting starts July 17th through August 1st and Election Day is August 6th. Paid for by Claire Maxwell for Rutherford County School Board Zone 5, Austin Maxwell Treasurer. News Radio, WGNS, Murfreesboro. Good neighbor weather. We see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms here this afternoon with a blend of clouds and sunshine developing a high in the upper 80s. Winds out of the west around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio, WGNS. Currently, it's 69. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5-101.9, AM1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back to Greg Tucker. We we had a little uh, message went across the screen was talking about the barbecue that they were going to start having annually at the Sam Davis home and and to be perfectly honest with you I cannot remember when that was well I think it was the caller was talking about what had been a practice uh, of yeah, course yeah. everything's cancelled this year which is again puts a heavy burden on a, a place like Sam Davis that depends on tourism and uh uh, special fundraisers again. Hey, I was able to find out a little more information about that. So um, during the the commercial break, it was held several years ago, and it was held one time. It was one of those Kansas City barbecue sanctioned events uh, that that was held out there. Uh, I think part of it was, from what I understand, the response to that event. It wasn't as great as they thought. Plus, putting on one of those events takes a considerable amount of of money and uh, it just didn't seem prudent to continue that as a fundraiser. So that's that's what I found out about that. Thanks, Brian, because I remember, to be perfectly honest, I remember going to a barbecue there, but the time and everything else, um, you know, time goes by so fast when you get your age, Greg, that uh, it, it's, it's hard to keep up with all those things. I'm, I'm glad that you stay keep your mind busy with all the historical things. All right, yeah, and I think, oh, yeah, that was a, something that happened last year. And I go back and look, and it was four years ago. 
or uh, 10, 20. 20 Actually, I think Dan Whittle, I believe I was with him when that happened. So it, yeah. it, it, it's been some time ago. Let's see. Uh, another interesting point in the letter was um, Gilbert writes a letter to his son, his oldest son. Mm-hmm. And he remarks again on the beautiful weather and the splendid country here. And notes that he still has not been paid. This is April. Uh, but then he gets into a, a serious discussion of what uh, he, he sees nearby in quoting here. The battlefield here is a terrible sight. As we passed through it for a distance of several miles, there did not appear to be a single thing on the face of the ground, mm. neither trees, stones, or fences, but what had been torn down by shot or shell the sides of the ground was covered with wrecks of army wagons, dead horses, and long lines of trenches in which the dead soldiers were buried. The smell as we passed over the field and for a long ways on either side was awful. I can't even imagine that. No, that reminds me there was uh, one interesting character, uh, ultimately very prosperous. His nickname was Greenback. Greenback Harrell, and during the war he scavenged the battlefields mm. and resold anything that he could to uh, uh, the Union Army. Of course, of course, they were the ones in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a description because there was no service is going to run out there and clean up. They just lay there until the local property owners after the war eventually. Yeah. And that's interesting too because he also comments on. Uh, uh, what's going to follow and of course he's still being told that they we're just uh, weeks away or a month or so away from the rebellion being crushed his phrase mm-hmm. uh, I hope it will crush before long for people's getting tired of it not only the soldiers on the field but people at home and then he's talking about the people who live in the area here in Murfreesboro and he says I don't see what the people is to do here when they do come back for their property is destroyed there is millions of acres of land he exaggerates but there's millions of acres of land here that has scarcely a rail on it you know what he's talking about the fences back then were all split rail cedar fences yeah and the uh, army encamped here burned up every single rail for firewood or used it for other purposes and uh, so none of the farms were fenced by the end of the war. He said, well, this wasn't even the end. This was in 1863. There has scarcely a rail on the ground. Uh, it's looking like very hard times down here. You know, people, they think only one side was damaged and out there that had... People that were uh, just pretty much uh, destroyed. They they don't understand. This whole area was was right in the middle of the Civil War when you think about it, and people lost everything that was here. And a lot of people didn't. They had no idea what the war was about. And and when you look at it, these the Union soldiers didn't have any idea what the war was about. But it, but but who who gets the blame for everything? It's 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 right here, and it it, it just really has bothered me all of those years. And you know, 
the war is over with continue on and let's get back to being a united country i mean don't don't be worrying about this person or that person or or what their particular uh, background is you need to get back because we've got enough on our plate as it is and when you come into this area right here the area that was completely pretty much destroyed right here in murfreesboro look what we've got outside it, it, it's a whole different country when, when you look at it. Right. Uh, an interesting reference the the wife makes in one of her letters is uh, at first uh, I thought, well, that's that's sweet, and then I realized what was behind it. She says in one of her letters in April, "I want you to get your likeness and send it to me." A picture of him, I presume. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. She wants it. And then you think, she's probably thinking, I may never see him again. Yeah. So, please, and where he would go to get a picture made, I don't know. Maybe the military making pictures. But she's asking him to get a picture and send it to us. You know, she's got three kids and not sure she'll ever see him again. Uh, as I said, though, he was in the convalescent camp in June. And those in the convalescent camp after the rest of the army moved out mm-hmm. were transferred to what is, I guess appropriately, was called the Invalid Brigade. Mm. And it's the Invalid Brigade that was sent back to uh, Louisville. Uh, also an interesting uh, reference there uh, to Morgan, uh, who had connections obviously here in Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. Colonel Morgan, because he was raiding in Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. And uh, according to this letter, people don't realize how much uh, confusion and uh, how much damage he did to the uh, Union war effort. Yeah. Uh, it's downplayed in most of our, most of our literature. Uh, but up until the time he was killed, he was making it very difficult for the military in the Western theater. Uh, by reading up well into the uh, northern states. Uh, We are all taught that Gettysburg was the only, some some of us were told that that was the only time the uh, Confederates penetrated into the north, Mm -hmm. was Gettysburg where they were turned back. But Morgan was all over Kentucky, Illinois, and Indiana uh, and threatening the supply lines that were originating up there. You know, when I built a house over on Rucker Lane, uh, it was a, uh, it it was turned in to a hospital right there. And uh, we, uh, my father-in-law actually built the house for us and he would stay out there in that old house uh, he wouldn't come in to, to the house that he was building. He he was doing that for all his girls. So Jackie was one of uh, was the reason that we had that house built. But it, it it had eerie feelings after it was built, and uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just uh, Barry, my youngest. He would uh, go through times when he would go to sleep that he would be chattering, it would be summertime, he would be cold, he would be freezing, 
and he he would start walking and and uh, of course i've always been taught that you're not supposed to wake them up but that was the only uh place that he did that was in that one house in that one room and it it, it had some type of uh of uh, I, I i don't know it it uh it whatever reason um i would call when, when he would go spend the night with some other people I would tell them now he, he sleepwalks and and it's a very unusual uh, condition that he's in when he's sleepwalking, and uh, but he never did do it again. Well, just about every house in the battlefield area, and this is probably true in all battlefields, was pressed into service by both sides, depending on whose side of the battle line they were, mm -hmm. and used as a field hospital. And uh, frequently the field hospitals would have both Confederate and Union. Uh, and uh, usually every one of them had a trench nearby because I suspect there was a very low probability of survival once yeah. you know, in, in those days. Uh, and there's a fascinating story about, the, I believe it was the Burris family home uh, on the Stones River battlefield which was a field hospital. And uh, years after the war, maybe 20 years after the war, they were expanding the home there mm -hmm. and dug into one of these trenches. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, the national battlefield, uh, the cemetery was in use and all Union soldiers' remains were being placed there. But when they went through the remains, and I remember the number, they had nine skulls. They knew there were nine bodies there. When they went through them, though, they found both Confederate and Union insignia. Hmm. So they had no idea which was which at that point. And the superintendent of the battlefield wrote to his superior back and forth and says, what should I do with these remains? We don't know what military they were. And uh, one letter that came back was, well, what have you done with them right now? What's the status of them? He says, they're in a box sitting here beside my desk. Mm -hmm. waiting for instructions. After some period of time, back and forth, what do we do, what do we do? He gets a letter from his his uh, superiors in Washington and it says, do the right thing. Yeah. So there's one grave over in the National Cemetery that doesn't say, here lies an unknown Union soldier. It says, here lie the remains of nine soldiers. Good for them. Yeah, and uh, all together. Yeah. All right, guys. I thoroughly enjoyed it, Greg. It's always a lot of fun. All right. So see you next week. See you next week and see you in the morning at night. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSradio.com.